So a question that came up this week that might come up during your Christmas celebrations is, is it Emmanuel or Emmanuel with an E or an I, right? And the bad news is it's neither. It's a Hebrew word that is a letter that looks kind of like a J and kind of like a Y and kind of like an upside down N with a little underneath it. And it kind of sounds like our eh, eh, eh. <laughs> so either one works. Emmanuel or Emmanuel. It's kind of like Alleluia or Hallelujah. They're both the same. They're just us, us English speakers trying to figure out how to say Hebrew words for 1,200 years. <laughs> All right, when we last left Barnabas and Paul, they were striking a magician false prophet named Bar-Jesus blind with a dark fog, right? Remember that? Pretty crazy. And then they left. You guys, there's just so much cool. Um, There's a lot of cool stuff going on today. So they leave... They go across Cyprus. They go across Cyprus. They get to the end of Cyprus, the western edge of Cyprus. And it would make sense for them to go back across the northern... They went all across the southern coast of Cyprus. And now they could go across the northern coast of Cyprus. But instead... Acts 13, 13, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. So there's like 14 different cities named Antioch at this time. This is Antioch is kind of like Washington. We got Washington State, we got Washington DC, we got Washington, Indiana, there's a Washington, Kentucky, there's a Washington, there's Washington's all over the place. There's in this day, there's Antioch, because it's named after the guy named Antioch. So this is Pisidian Antioch, and he's saying, you know the Antioch that's in this region. This is not a good place to go next. This doesn't make any sense at all. To to get to Pisidian Antioch. You have to go 120 miles and like five, 4,000 feet up. So you're going up into high altitudes, into mountains. The roads from uh, Perga, which is on the coast, up to Pisidian Antioch, that road was one of the most dangerous roads. It was full of robbers and thieves, and it was treacherous. So there's all kinds of questions of why in the world do they go here? So archaeologists and people start diving into trying to figure out some logic to it. And they make some discoveries that are really cool. So remember Sergius Paulus was the guy that was the governor over all of Cyprus. And he heard about Barnabas and Saul and invited them to come. And they came and spoke to him. And this is where now Paul starts getting called Paul, starting to use his Greek name. And 
Sergius Paulus became a believer. Sergius Paulus, this aristocrat, rich guy, powerful political leader over all of Cyprus, had family. He wasn't from Cyprus. Guess where he was from? Pisidian Antioch. And so there are records of Sergius Paulus's family tracing back to, to Pisidian Antioch. So after they were on Cyprus, Sergius Paulus probably said to Paul and Barnabas, you guys should go tell this to my cousins. You should go tell this to my brothers. You should go tell this to the rest of my family. How in the world are they going to make it along that road? Well, if you had an entourage protecting you that was sent by the governor of Cyprus, you would be safe. You would have... So, all of that could be. Another theory, and it isn't an exclusive theory, it could be the same thing, is that on Cyprus, malaria was really bad. There are some recorded cases of like an epidemic of malaria breaking out in Cyprus and it would spread to the coast, which was Perga. And all along the coastland, there would be outbreaks of malaria. So what do you do if you want to get away from malaria? You get away from the bugs and they didn't have off and they didn't have bug zappers. So you went to high altitudes. You go... We visited our friends in Fort Collins years ago. We're sitting around in the backyard. We're like, you guys don't have any bugs. They were like, yeah, it's too high altitude. Mosquitoes can't live up here. Is this heaven? (laughs) People frequently would go, if, if there was an outbreak of malaria, people would flee up into mountain communities to go live up in the mountains until it died down and went away. Now what fits with that is that the reason why John left them could have been because he got malaria and he needed to go home and recover from that. There's some other people that talk about Paul may have had malaria and so Paul is getting passage up into the mountains so that he could get a break and weather it. So I first read all this stuff and I was like, where are they getting this? Like this is total... Are they just making stuff up? And then one guy says, as seen in Galatians 4. Like, what in the world? So you go over to Galatians 4. Galatians 4, verse 12. So Paul is writing to the Galatians. He's visited the Galatians. He's been around preaching in churches and synagogues in Galatia. And after he leaves there, he writes them a letter. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become like I am, because I became like you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Because of a bodily ailment, Paul preached to them first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. 
Well, guess what Pisidian Antioch, that whole region is Galatia. That whole region is the Galatians, the people from this whole Pisidian Antioch region that he went to are the Galatians. So when he writes to them and he says, you know, when I first came to you because I was sick, because I had this ailment, that's why he didn't go back across the coast of Cyprus. That's why when they sailed to Perga, they didn't stay in the coast. Paul was sick with something. He had some ailment and went to them. So it could have been because of Sergius, Sergius Paulus. It could have been because of malaria. It could have been both reasons. Uh, they all, those all hold water. Those all make sense that they could be. Um, in ancient times, a lot of people survived malaria. But for the rest of their lives, they would have episodes of headache, just incapacitating headaches. And you would just have to lay down and be still and you couldn't move. And there's one point where Paul talks about a thorn that he's been given to torment him. And all the malaria people think that that thorn was Paul's continual headaches that he had from suffering from malaria. You, you don't get over it. Uh, you just don't die from it. That, that sounds terrible. <laughs> but, um, so that, that could be part of what, what was affecting Paul for the rest of his life. Isn't that crazy? So the Bible is its best interpreter. So they go there. And they go to Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. So the other cool thing is that in Pisidian Antioch, it is a Greek city. It is all kinds of Roman rule. But there are Jews there. And there are enough Jews there to have a synagogue. Uh, the, the archaeology and the history says that they were, they were pretty wealthy. They weren't poor in Pisidian Antioch, and the Jews were also not poor. They, they were getting along pretty good. I mean, it's kind of like mountain country, right? And, uh, and, they're, and they're healthy. So they go there, and they go to the synagogue, and they sit down. They would look like Jews. They would dress like they came from Jerusalem. People would know, oh, that's, I think that is... Paul of Tarsus that came in to sit and they, they, they get word to him. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have news. So if you saw somebody from out of town come, you would want to know what's going on in the world. Tell me everything that's happening. You've come here for some reason. Talk to us and tell I mean, they were always looking for guest speakers, right? Because otherwise they just live in their little mountain town and do their thing. But when you got somebody from the outside, Paul stands up and he says, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. So that's two different people. That's two different groups. The men of Israel are the Jewish-born Jewish men that are descended from Abraham. The, you who fear God are the Gentile believers that have come to believe in Yahweh. 
So you see the example of all these Jewish people in your Greek town. You see what they're doing. You want what they want. And you join their religion. You're still a Gentile, but you're a God-fearer. You're a person who fears God. If you went to the temple in Jerusalem, you wouldn't be able to go into certain doors that the Jews could go into. But you're still considered part of God's people now. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. With an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. So remember when Stephen got up and Stephen gave his great speech and he was like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and all of this Jewish history. Paul is in Pisidian Antioch. <laughs> he is not around all of these people who love their temple and are like super Jewish. These folks are a little bit, they might be considered a little liberal. They might, you know, they've watered down their Jewishness a little bit, living far, far away. And so he sums up all of Jewish history in 450 years in about three sentences. The point is, and you'll see where he's going here, is pay attention to how many times he presents in this little speech choosing this or that. Making a choice for this thing or making a choice for that thing. Right? So he just said, they stayed in Egypt with uplifted arm, they let him out. He put up with them in the wilderness and he destroyed seven nations in front of them. He gave them their land as their inheritance. So these like giving, you know, there's rejection happening, there's acceptance happening, there's, there's judgment being poured out and there's blessing being poured out. After that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. When he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. So again, they wanted a king. I gave him a king. I took the king away, gave him another king. And this is the king... This whole giving and taking, blessing and curses happening. Now, Paul has to be careful because when he could talk in Jerusalem and he would talk about David the king, it was like, it was like George Washington and you, you got the American flag blowing behind him. And like to talk about David in Jerusalem is a mix of patriotic and religious. In Pisidian Antioch, where the Caesars are ruling, they, they aren't going to get any hometown pride. They're not going to get any, any patriotic zeal out of that, right? So he's talking about David as being given by God, and he, and he focuses on that part of it. He says, I found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this... Man's offspring. Okay, so if you hear that, a man do all my will, you think, gosh, David had to be like the closest person to God ever. Like David had to be God's favorite person that ever lived to be like that. 
But of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before Jesus' coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sands of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So these folks in Pisidian Antioch had probably heard of John the Baptist. That's how well known John the Baptist was. They had probably heard that John the Baptist was baptizing people outside of Jerusalem, away from the establishment. They might not have heard this exact quote. They may have. But they knew that John the Baptist was, you know, some people thought he was the Messiah. Some people thought he was the one to come. Some people thought he was the Elijah that's going to come before the Messiah comes. So Paul is bringing this speech of all of German, or German, all of Jewish history all together, brings it up to John, and then he says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God. Do you see what's changed in Paul's speech? He started with, Men of Israel and you who fear God. Now he is brothers, sons of the family of Abraham. He's bringing everybody in closer. I want you to be with me. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. We don't know what they read in the synagogue. They read some Old Testament scripture that day. And this is Paul elaborating on it and kind of teaching on it. It was something, we think it's something about salvation and something about the coming Messiah. Because he's saying Jesus is the one who brought this message, who fulfilled this message. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, like we just read, fulfilled them by condemning him. So now he's talking bad about the Jerusalem leaders. He's saying the leaders of Jerusalem killed Jesus. Don't make that same mistake. Skip down. He talks about how they killed Jesus. They buried him, but verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses. A guy was dead and he came back to life. This is the, the main point of his message. This guy had a message that we could be forgiven, that God is close to us and that all of Israel, everybody, doesn't matter how holy you think you are, every single person needs to be saved. And this guy was so true to his word that God raised him back from the dead. We bring you the news that what God promised to the fathers, he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus from the dead. And then he quotes Psalms. Psalms could have been in the reading that day. You are my son, today I have begotten you. For the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption or decay. So there's this whole thing about 
how they would bury people and what they would do with their bones and where they would put them and how they'd move their bones around after they were dead and all kinds of respect for dead bodies and that kind of thing. Part of Jesus being proven as the Son of God was that he was buried for as long as he was. He was embalmed. They embalmed him. They put 75 pounds of spices onto and into Christ's body when he was dead. And then he rose from the dead and was fully restored. So, like, just think about that for a minute. Like, he was really, really dead. Next time you're, next time you're carrying that five-pound bag of flour, think about 75 pounds of... Yes. He did not decay. And that is what Paul is using as an example. He is not just flesh. He is also deity. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, was laid in his father's, and saw corruption. Means his body decayed. He went back to dust. But he who God raised did not. Therefore, brothers... Through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The whole purpose, gosh, the whole lifestyle of these guys was what do we do about our sin? What do we sacrifice for our sin? How do we eat our food in just such a certain way that we won't sin? How, what, what kind of knot should I tie on the Sabbath day to keep my cow from running off But if I tie a certain kind of knot, it's considered work, and that's a sin to do on the Sabbath. So I'm going to tie up my cow just before the sun goes down on Friday night, because if the sun is still up on Friday night, and I tie the knot, I don't sin. But if a minute later, after the sun goes down, I tie that knot, I did work, I committed sin, and I broke the Sabbath. Talk about high blood pressure, right? And Paul says to them, forgiveness of sins. We are not counting this stuff against you anymore. It does not count. By him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Like, I want to, I want to just, that, give me that in huge red letters. Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. All shame, all condemnation. Anytime somebody does something and we're like, oh, that guy's such an idiot. Why did he do that? That little judgment that I'm putting on him, that guy's actually free. My judgment doesn't count against him and neither does God's if he believes in Jesus. Isn't that wild? Isn't that just the most freeing thing ever? So then he gives them one last warning. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. I'm doing a thing, a work in your days, a work you would not believe, even if one tells you. If you would have told all these people working so hard to keep the law, that a guy is going to come and wipe it out and it's not going to count against you, they wouldn't believe it. And that's what the prophet said, and that's what the prophet he's quoting said. (laughs) Somebody's going to come and fulfill this whole law going to give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. Jeremiah said, no longer is a guy going to say, you need to know the Lord, you need to know the Lord to to one person to another because they're all going to know the Lord. The Holy Spirit's going to be among you and you're going to be as close to the Lord as, as anybody can be. 
So they went out and they begged that these things would be told to them next Sabbath. They love it. I mean, it's true, right? It's good news. That's, it's such a wild thing. So many times we think, I want to tell these people about Jesus. Oh, but what if they reject me? What if they think I'm an idiot? Or what if I think I'm a fool? What if they, what if they don't like what I have to say? And I, I will tell you what. Um, the times that people reject you is so rare. Compared to the times that people are just really thankful for the reminder. The knowledge that God, you know. You tell somebody, I'm praying for you. God is with you. I, I have said that to people that I knew were uh, aggressive, atheist, grumpy pants. And I was a guy recently. I said, oh, I'm going to pray for your pain. And I knew he did not like people to pray for him. And I knew he did not like people to say that. And Caleb was there. I said, well, I'm going to pray for your knee. And he looks at me and he looks over at Caleb. He goes, well, I don't know what to say to that with him here. But okay. I was like, oh, I got you. You had to say okay. And I have been praying for him. The good news is good news. The good news is good news for everybody. And as we present it as good news, now, when we hit somebody over the head with their Bible and tell them they're going to hell because they got a tattoo that says whatever, and we get into all that nonsense, that's not good news. And it's not, might not be true either. The good news, this is just so clear. The cool thing about this section of Acts 13, you could read this over and over. This is the only full speech that we have from the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. All the other ones, they'll say, Paul told them all these things, and part of it was, and Luke gives us an excerpt. This is the only time we get the whole speech. And it's really awesome. It's, you Jews, you God-fearers, this happened. Brothers, people, come on. Jesus came for all who believe. Through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. 613 laws couldn't do it. Jesus can. As they went out, they begged that these things would be told to them next Sabbath. After the meeting, the synagogue broke up. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace to God. These guys, Paul and Barnabas, became really popular really fast. And a lot of people came to believe. And the people that came to believe went and told their friends. And those people came to believe. And those people told other people. And word spread all week long. And people are getting hyped up. And the next week, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? In one week, people were like, you have got to hear these dudes that came up from Cyprus and the one dude's got malaria and they're staying here to weather it through but did you hear what he said and bar, 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 right the next Sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord but when the Jews saw the crowds they were filled with jealousy what we've never had so many people come to church before we didn't get that many people to come when I preached. I bet that guy is a 
Cardinals fan, not a Cubs fan. I bet he drives a Chevy and not a Ford. They were jealous. They were jealous. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't synagogue rulers because of the glory of God. And so that all nations would come to know him and serve him and follow him. They loved the crowds. They loved the popularity. So they got they were filled with jealousy, began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Whoa. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So, again, just picture one of the best Bible study methods you can do is to really think about how this played out and what really happened. They're at the synagogue. The whole city is there. Is it literally the whole city? Probably not, right? It's probably just like we'd be like, I think everybody on the west side was at the Wrights football game Friday night. You know, Was everybody on the west side at the Wrights football game? No, but it seemed like it. There's a huge crowd, all these people. The Jewish leaders start talking trash against Paul and Barnabas. People are hearing that. You know how you're kind of uncomfortable in public when people are fighting and you're like, this is really awkward. I don't feel right. Now Paul and Barnabas speak back and they say, it's necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. We had to do it this way. But now you, remember last week when I told that story about the Egyptians rejected Israel, about the people in the Holy Land were driven out because they rejected God and God's chosen people got the Holy Land. Remember how in Jerusalem, the leaders rejected Jesus, and now Jesus is spreading all over the world. What side are you on? You are showing that you're on the side of Jerusalem, on the side of Babylon, and on the side of Egypt. The side that always loses. And so now we're going to the Gentiles. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. So imagine all the Gentiles have to sit in the back row. And these Jewish guys are fighting up front. And Paul and Barnabas basically say, well, now we're going to all the Gentiles. And the whole back row is like, yeah, the guys who weren't allowed to come up front. You're not allowed to come up here. Oh, don't touch that. You're not allowed to touch that. He says, the God that I talked about last week is also the God of the Gentiles. When they heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed all the people, all the people that God knew would be saved, got saved. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Again, flip back to Galatians. The message that Paul has here is that Jesus is going to do everything that the law of Moses couldn't do. The whole message in the book of Galatians is why are you turning to the law? Why do you think what started in faith could be finished by doing a law? You stupid Galatians. Who has bewitched you? You're free from the law. And so your homework this week, go read the whole book of Galatians 
in light of what happened. I, I almost preached on the whole book of Galatians this week. It might be what we do next week. I don't know. But this whole freedom from the law for Gentiles, for everybody, you're free of the whole thing. And it's just an absolute party. The Jews incited women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples, that's the disciples that stayed, that were residents of Pisidian Antioch, were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So we don't know how long Paul and Barnabas were there. We don't know how long their recovery was and if it was malaria or not. We don't know if it was Sergius Paulus took them there or what. We know they got safe travel up that crazy road that was really dangerous. We know that they got there and that Paul preached freedom from the law. Freedom from your sin. Freedom from judgment Freedom from wickedness and despair, all in the name of Jesus, the Son of God who died, rose from the dead. Then the Holy Spirit came upon them, and Paul and Barnabas left. So there's a church now in Pisidian Antioch. This business of they incited devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. Remember, one of the theories of why they got there was because of the family of Sergius Paulus, right? If it was the family of Sergius Paulus, those would be the women of high standing and the men in control of the city, if that was the same reasoning that happened. I love this whole thing because, you know, God, he did, he, it says he's not a respecter of people. Rich people aren't more likely to get saved than poor people. God doesn't love skinny people more than he loves fat people. God doesn't love light-skinned people more than he loves dark-skinned people. He works through all of them. And he worked in Cyprus. God took Paul and Barnabas all the way to the top of politics and the top of aristocrat or aristocracy the top of authority. In Pisidian Antioch, the top of authority and the top of society were the people that drove them out of town. They're still the people that God used to get them to go to the next place. Isn't that funny how that works? If it was malaria that drove them up there, it was illness and it was hardship and it was difficulty that drove them up to Pisidian Antioch. Either way, the Lord, the Lord is not limited and the Lord is not powerless to work in any, any situation. He can work and move. And if you think, okay, just think through, take the big picture. God used the fact that Barnabas was from Cyprus to reach Cyprus. Where do we go on our first missionary journey? I don't know. I'm from Cyprus. I know on my way around there. Let's go there. They go. That God would use them to get to... That Barnabas being a... What does it call? A Cypriot? Use that word in a sentence this week. A guy from Cyprus to reach Cyprus? That God would use the, the president of Cyprus 
to reach, to get them into Galatia, and that God would use a bunch of angry, rich ladies to get them into Iconium. And next week we'll talk about what happened in Iconium and where they went from there. God is using all these things. And um, it's just so, it's so exciting because it makes you want to watch and see. A whole bunch of people got struck homeless and had their cities destroyed by a tornado, right? What is God going to do in all of that? What is God, how is God going to act? There's a, a global pandemic and all kinds of people's lives are shook up. What is God going to do in that? Even little tiny things. This restaurant closed on the corner and now it's opening again. That's going to affect some people. Restaurant on the corner. What's God going to do with that? Because God is working. It's easy to think God is working in these big major catastrophes, but he's also working in little controversies too. So we can praise him for that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for being so active and so busy in our lives. Thank you so much, Lord, that you would show us favor, that you would show Paul and Barnabas favor with Sergius Paulus to get him into the highest levels of of Cyprus, and even that they would be shunned and run out of town by the powers in city in Antioch to go to Iconium. Just thank you for always working in our circumstances, whatever they are, good or bad, to rescue and to save and to proclaim your good news that our sins are forgiven. We praise you, we thank you, we trust you, and we exalt you, Lord. Amen.